0: Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Law Today podcast presented by Foley and Lardner. Each month we'll bring on a different thought leader to discuss current legal trends in the healthcare industry. I'm your host, Chris Donovan, partner and chair of Holy's Healthcare Industry Team. It's a pleasure to have you joining us today. Before we begin our show, I want to remind you to subscribe to the Healthcare Law Today, either on iTunes or preferred podcast app please visit our website at healthcarelawtoday.com. Today's focus is behavioral health. And if there's an area in health law today that is hot, I would say definitely it's behavioral health. Uh, I was looking at some of the deal statistics for the first quarter of 2020, uh, notwithstanding the COVID pandemic. And we've had over a dozen transactions in the behavioral space with both private equity, strategic investors and operators. And I think hearing and reading about behavioral health generally, there's a lot of speculation, which is probably more fact than speculation, that we really are at an inflection point with behavioral health, uh, both culturally, where uh, you know, sort of the stigma associated with behavioral health, I think, has gone away. Certainly payer expansion, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, access to care and and finally uh, technology and telemedicine, which has provided a significant uh, tailwind to the expansion of behavioral health, uh, particularly in the COVID crisis. My guest today is Dan Riskew. Uh, Dan is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel of Beacon Health Options. They're one of the largest plan managers and providers of behavioral health in the United States. And uh, Dan, welcome to today's show. Pleasure to have you on. Would you like to introduce yourself and
1: Beacon for a minute or two, and then we can get into our Q&A? Sure. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Dan Rescue, as Chris said, uh, general counsel at Beacon Health Options, where I've been the general counsel for about eight years. Uh, been in the healthcare side of the legal business uh, for most of my career, and in various states around the the country, and operating nationally to a large extent. Uh, Beacon Health Options, as Chris noted, is is and has been in the behavioral business its entire existence. It's about a 40-year-old company and it is totally focused on behavioral health. The mission of the company is to, to help people live their lives to the fullest potential. And I have to tell you the employees of this company really have that in their heart and that's why they come to work at Beacon. The company was founded by clinicians, and it actually evolved out of a psychiatric hospital company decades ago uh, with the first carve-out contract by the military for its what's known, now known as uh, the TRICARE program. They did a, a behavioral health carve-out related to uh, mental health substance use benefits many years ago and that's how uh, beacon health options was founded Uh, we serve about 40 million people throughout the country and that's in a variety of government health plan commercial employer types of account businesses in that we have you know, many programs, but we we keep them focused on core behavioral management programs such as care and case management, care coordination, utilization management. Uh, we've expanded into total health management, including the, the medical side as well as behavioral. Now, in, in that context, we do tend to work more with the uh, the highest acuity populations, especially in the Medicaid government business. And and those members frequently have serious mental illness issues, different substance use issues including opioid use, intellectual, developmental, disabled individuals, autism. And we work throughout that and the other two areas that we spend a good amount of our time is in our beacon well-being area and we'll talk further later on this that's for primarily employee assistance programs for employers of many sizes and shapes and, and then the the last area which is bringing us back to the beginnings of the company is getting back into direct care services where we have a subsidiary Beacon Care Services where we are doing direct counseling and access care services for individuals. So I mentioned we operate nationally. Uh, We have about over 100,000 providers in our networks across the country. And this is all done through Over 4,500 employees, more than a 1,000 of those are clinicians. And, you know, we have joint ventures with providers uh, in many areas of the country in addition to to the networks. So that's a quick overview of, of a very interesting part of the healthcare business. Thanks, Dan. That's helpful. I do a lot of deal work at Foley uh,
0: nationally, and certainly behavioral health has just the, the volume of investment activity and transaction activity. Some of which is coming from private equity community, and some of which is strategic. Just seems to be at a really an unprecedented level, and and some areas, for example, autism, are just. Uh, I almost feel like you know, there's a new autism platform being announced by a private equity firm every other week. But we do seem to be going into a phase of significant investor interest and indirectly provider expansion. I'm kind of curious, you've been in the business for, you know, quite some time. I'm I'm wondering, uh, maybe using a baseball game innings analogy, where you think we are in that and whether you think this interest is sustainable or we're at the, the sort of the early stages of it. Or you think, you know, that there's significant uh, access problems, et cetera, still and significant expansion uh, of benefits, et cetera, that the sector should be able to achieve, say, you know, in the near future. Kind of curious what your thoughts are in terms of all the activity and whether it's sustainable, where it's headed.
1: I think it is—it is certainly sustainable. And using the baseball analogy, and I love sports analogies, and use them all the time. We're still in the early innings. At best, we're in the third inning, and we have a long way to go as as a country and as all of the the stakeholders uh, in healthcare and behavioral health. Uh, healthcare is behind other industries in terms of its advancements. I mean, while there have certainly been you know huge advancements throughout the the health and medical side of pharmacology, you know, medical procedures, medical devices, all of that, you know, from a technology perspective, uh, we have a long way to go. We're behind other industries such as financial services, banking. Uh, that have heavy transactions, and healthcare is a, has a heavy transaction component when you factor in not only the volume of services but the way that healthcare is financed in this country. So, from that that perspective, I I think in behavioral has has a long way to go. I mean, we are again as as an industry, healthcare. Uh, we are really just beginning to truly work on integrating the behavioral piece with with the medical side. The mind is still connected to the rest of the the human body, so it's taken us a while to really start to deal with whole person health. But we're we're making uh, larger strides, I think, in the past few years, and uh, we'll continue to do that. Uh, over the coming years, so I, you know, I I think we're in still in an early stage of its core development. Well, that's music to the ears of all my private <laughs> private equity investor clients,
0: because that's certainly how they see it. Uh, and I think you're right, because I mean one, one data point that I keep hearing about when we look at the space and you know the data rooms, etc., that you know, target companies are opening up for people to look at. And this is probably something you've seen in the TPA and plan management work that Beacon does is is the issue of network adequacy. And, you know, just anecdotally, you hear stories about friends or relatives who want to have access to to behavioral health services, but, you know, finding a clinician that is a network on the plan can sometimes present challenges, et cetera, which I think reinforce what you just said, which is that we're in the early innings. But i wondered if you had any observations with respect to, you know, uh, sort of network adequacy and access with respect to behavioral health and where you see that, you know, sort of generally headed into the future.
1: Yeah, I think network access, adequacy are areas that are beginning to receive attention and necessary attention from many aspects. There are certainly regulators around the country who have begun to focus on it, but you know, providers, patients, us as consumers, we are in need and demanding more access. And so I think, you know, companies such as Beacon, Uh, Other providers are also beginning to focus on it uh, more. I mean, we've had provider networks of all shapes and sizes for, again, for many decades. Uh, And that includes individual sole practitioners, different types, whether it's psychiatrists, psychologists, licensed clinical social workers, you know, different types of facilities all the way up to acute care facilities. but there's still a shortage there is a shortage of behavioral health providers in this country and there's many reasons for that Uh, it's not going to get solved overnight but with increased attention to everything that goes into that equation you know we can make progress over uh, over the the coming years now a lot of that involves improved coordination from all sides it includes improved education of members you know the patients in how to use providers the right way it involves technology and using the efficiencies of technology as part of the solutions and we just you know and we're, we're living through that right now with uh, the COVID 19 epidemic telemedicine was growing slowly on the behavioral health side, similar to the medical side. And all of a sudden it has exploded overnight. And everyone from providers to patients have realized that, you know, receiving many forms of services via some form of telemedicine actually works. It's more efficient, it's more effective, People like it and that includes not only the patient, but the provider. And so, you know, I I see telemedicine continuing to grow. One of the reasons that we established Beacon Care Services was to assist in improving access. In our various business lines, you know, we have seen shortages of providers and gaps in areas where we knew that additional uh, attention could be brought in trying while not solving the entire issue or problem could at least begin to solve some of the gaps. And so we've created Beacon Care Services and not to deal with severe behavioral uh, and mental health issues, but to provide an additional avenue of counseling services for individuals, families, on a more simple and and in a form of delivery that is truly accessible, where it meets the, the family member or the individual, in a way that serves them best for their lifestyle, whether that is going to a more retail type of setting or an employment-based setting at at an employer site or through telehealth modes of delivery. And, you know, we're still in the very early stage of that, but it is showing some true... uh, results and we will continue to put more more uh, resource behind it we developed it with you know use of analytics and outcomes reporting Uh, we are doing it on with evidence-based practices as one of the the foundation blocks so it's uh it's early stage but uh, it's very promising and it's again it's it's one of many opportunities to improve access and accessibility for, for patients.
0: That's interesting, Dan. Looking at access issue and network, and it, it's interesting to see that you're sort of, you know, and we've seen that in the healthcare space uh, with other companies that are kind of straddling the provider plan. Uh, paradigm and acting effectively in both capacities. We're seeing a lot of M&A activity in the behavioral health space. And I think one of the byproducts or one of the goals of that, as I understand it from the investment community, is to establish you know, more of a national platform of providers who can then go to the plans, uh, the payers, and offer what's obviously a more comprehensive, simpler, administratively simpler at any rate, network to offer to you know plan beneficiaries. And I'm just, I guess a question are, do, do you see that consolidation trend on the provider side continuing? and is that going to facilitate you know from the plan side broader and perhaps simpler access to plan benefits for plan beneficiaries?
1: I think it can, and I think that's that's a primary goal of that activity on the behavioral side it is still large it is the behavioral provider network so to speak uh, from a greater perspective is largely unconsolidated it is local very local in nature there are disparate uh, practitioners for many reasons and there's many reasons behind that so again going back to uh, baseball analogy uh, that is still very much early early stage and i think it you know it can bring some rationality it needs to have the patient as primary focus and how that improves access and adequacy for for the patient and at the same time, helps to streamline the administrative aspects for providers, uh, for payers. So I think that that there's a good amount of room for uh, growth and further rationality as we move forward.
0: That makes a ton of sense. And I think that's what you're just saying there supports frankly, a lot of the capital. And we're seeing that in in other sectors of healthcare traditionally, for example, home health and certain areas, certain physician practices, uh, where there's, as you said, it's it's local, I wouldn't say mom and pop, but local practices. And I think in the behavioral space, you see that even, I think, to an extreme in some cases. But uh, just shifting a little bit over here, more to the Payment side, you mentioned something about evidence based treatment and evidence based protocols. One of the things that we've been talking about internally at Foley is, you know, for years, I guess mostly on the Medicare side, there's been a lot said about and acted on uh, with respect to value based reimbursement and delivery models, for example, ACOs and bundle payments and different types of risk sharing arrangements. And I think with the COVID crisis, you know, we've Kind of put that aside for, the, for obvious reasons, and a lot of the regulatory requirements associated with, you know, various, uh, you know, the Stark laws and some of the compliance issues that we regularly deal with as healthcare lawyers have been put on hold temporarily with the public health emergency. But with respect to behavioral health, and you know, I read the cases, and et cetera, about it. It does seem to me, and I'm curious what your opinion is, uh, that really the way to get back into value-based models and away from you know per visitor fee for service, if in fact that's where things are headed, and, and I tend to think they are, is that payers are going to be looking, as you said, for evidence-based clinical protocols that show favorable outcomes based upon various therapies, for example. And I think it, it's unfortunate, but I think this is an area where maybe some of those statistics are harder to prove than medical procedures, for example, if, you know, if you have a hip replacement, and X number of people are readmitted to a hospital. How do you actually measure progress in certain areas like ABA and others? But I'm kind of curious what your view is as to where kind of the payment paradigm with respect to behavioral health is, is going, and, and I understand you can't speak for your health plans. You're not, you know, necessarily going to be able to do that, but I, I'm kind of curious where you, where you think things will be headed, and if providers are listening out there, what they should be doing to kind of take advantage of some of those um, hoped for, you know, more value-based reimbursement
1: delivery models. I think we are, you know, behind the the medical side on all of those fronts, and that being behavioral. Uh, It's behind the medical side uh, that made a good amount of progress over the past two, three decades there are areas where there's fairly solid evidence-based treatment protocols on on the behavioral and substance use side uh and they've been in in place for a while and and are continuing to make advancements on that front payers are and and providers are are both getting behind and supporting those efforts i think that both the providers and payers are looking at doing more on the different payment models uh, with regard to some form of shared risk models. At Beacon, we've been involved with those types of models literally for decades. You know some of that is just on the behavioral side. There are more initiatives around the country right now where it includes behavioral, where we have shared risk models and others where it's the total medical expense. At Beacon, you know we are involved in uh, shared service, uh, shared risk models on the total medical expense equation, and I see that continuing to grow over the coming years. And there will be other, Forms of uh, you know just simple capitation uh, models to other risk corridor type of models, with not only uh, larger provider organizations but including smaller practitioner organizations. So that that is a definite growth area, and it's it's a it's an area where the payment model does need to evolve, uh, similar to. The manner in which payment models have evolved on on the medical side.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense, Dan. And the thing that we've noticed in at it, it, it Foley, some of the deals that we've worked on is is more like the integration of behavioral health at a at a much earlier stage, and kind of an integration with primary care delivery, both on the provider side as well as technology. And kind of introduce, you know, the payers seem to be very responsive to introducing behavioral health diagnostics and and other preventative type treatments in conjunction with, and it's sort of the early, you know, almost like annual, you know, checkup stage of primary care because it's obviously advantageous to intervene with respect to any kind of an episode or. Mental health uh, issue, you know, in the clinical setting before it can exemplify itself in more serious patterns. But let me uh, just maybe just shifting to, to kind of the future and maybe kind of wrap up with a little bit of uh, prognosticating uh, into the future. I just personally feel like behavioral health is, as you said, in the in the early innings of the ball game, nowhere near the seventh inning stretch. Uh, but unlike the baseball season, I do think behavioral health will have a season, uh, many seasons ahead, but uh, kind of, I'm just curious whether anything you're seeing now is going to prevent that from accelerating significantly over say the next two to three years. And if you care to speculate a little bit uh, how, for example, technology might play into this and, and Excel, you had mentioned telemedicine, for example, but uh, I think Beacon's been involved with uh, AI and machine learning and other sort of diagnostic tools that they've introduced in, into their uh, platform. But I'm kind of curious, what, what do you think the future holds and whether you think technology will be a, a part of that? And uh, if so, how it will impact it?
1: It'll impact it in just about everything we do in that, I mean, taking the the use of, of AI analytics, uh, you know, we're putting great efforts into into advancing our, our capabilities. We use that data to help with patient care uh, to begin with. You know, using the, the COVID pandemic as an example, through the use of analytics, we were able to identify um, members highest at risk and then start to coordinate uh, outreach to those members with their treating providers uh, if they had them, or find other ways to outreach to the members to make sure that they were both receiving any necessary care during this pandemic, as well as uh, coordinating uh, any other physical health issues with their providers. That's just one type of example. You know, digital technologies in terms of how members, patients get information, data, that will continue to expand. The use of smartphones uh, will become an increasing uh, weight that care is diagnosed, delivered in some settings, Uh, not all, but some settings. Uh, so all of that again is at its earlier stages, and you know the care integration uh, again it's it's something that Beacon has been doing for for decades, and one of our strong clinical underpinnings is in coordinating and helping case manage the behavioral side with with the patient's uh, physical health needs. And we have a variety of programs in place uh, where we do that on a not only consistent basis, but a quality-based basis in helping to coordinate care with uh, the individual's primary care physician or, or other uh, treating provider.
0: Fantastic. My conclusion is your job security is secure for the indefinite future, Dan. I don't see this space uh, in any way going away. So uh, first of all, I want to thank you, Dan Rescue, for being our guest today. Uh, Some terrific insights by you uh, in a a super dynamic area. So uh, thanks. I really appreciate your joining us. And I want to thank everyone else for listening to Healthcare Law Today podcast, your connection to timely legal updates in the healthcare industry. Healthcare Law Today is a monthly program and we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast or to Foley's Healthcare Law Today blog at healthcarelawtoday.com. If you like this show, please don't forget to subscribe, and uh, please be sure also to rate us five stars if you want to. Uh, Until the next time on Healthcare Law Today podcast, I'm Chris Donovan at Foley and Lardner. Dan, thank you very much once again for being our guest, and we appreciate you joining us. Take care.